Hey, everybody. Good evening. Good evening. And welcome to a live taping of the Freedom Cast podcast. Today, tonight, I have the honor of having my amazing brother from another mother, oh, the great pastor, the great husband, the prolific orator, Pastor Tim Jones Jr., joining me for a very important topic. Um, you know, just talking about uh, church hurt, but also spiritual abuse. He has an amazing um, viewpoint on it that I really think everybody should hear. So, hi, Tim. Hey, sis, how are you? Good. I'm, just, you? I'm just sharing this with everybody at Greater Harvest, and I'm so glad to be here with you tonight on the Freedom Cast. Uh, this is my first time here. Um, just want everybody to know how awesome uh, Minister Jones is in my life. Me and her, ironically, we have the same last name, and uh, blood can make us any closer. And so I'm just glad to be here tonight with you. Amen. Amen. Um, so we've known each other for over 10 years. We met in undergrad, y'all. And um, we've been cutting up. So I'm cutting up. <laughs> Brother and sister cutting up ever since. You know what I mean? So um, it's just amazing. Um, you don't really see um, relationships that have longevity anymore. And that's just a reality, you know. But we've been going strong. I love him. I love his wife. I love his family. Like, they're my family. So um Tim and I always have conversations like no matter what like we could be on the phone for hours you know laughing joking speaking in tongues shouting screaming hollering like you know it just it's like goes in a wave of whatever we're talking about and I mean we've been talking about church hurt for a while right we both got into ministry when we were young we've both been in church our whole lives so we've seen enough church hurt to write a whole like volume of books Yes. Um, but I, uh, the, the real point of us being on today is so that Pastor Tim can share the different perspective on church hurt. Because we've been talking about that buzzword, church hurt, church hurt, and everyone felt it. And we've all been experiencing it and so forth and so on. But really, it shifts into something else. And that's what we kind of want to get into, what that looks like, who it affects, how do we remedy it? Because we don't want to come from a point of pain. That's something that Pastor Tim really talked about. Like, we don't want to come from that point of pain where it's like, oh, everyone's just dumping of, of how hurt they are. But how do we get to that point where we're healing from this, getting freedom and moving on? So I'm turning it over to Pastor Tim. I'll be I'll be chiming in a little bit, but I really want y'all to hear him. He is amazing. If you've ever heard him <laughs> preach before, speak before, you know I'm not lying. If you've ever heard him pray before, you know I'm telling the truth. So please, Pastor Tim, just give us a little more insight into um, your, your different perspective on church hurt please amen amen so number one uh since one more time i just want to thank god for you and i thank god for uh, all of those who have been sticking with steph uh even through the seat an awesome ministry of prayer and fasting and uh teaching and uh keeping a prophetic voice alive in the church that some have been trying to kill and so we thank god uh for you sis yeah so number one i want to say that I have a couple of guys in my life who have, and sisters in my life who have been instrumental in helping shape me. And if you all can hear me, I, my, my AC is kind of loud, so let me know if you all can hear me fine. Uh, but um, yeah, there are a couple of people who have been a part of shaping me into being who God has called me to be, right? And one of those people is a brother by the name of Pastor Damon Richardson. Damon is from Queens, but he currently lives in Atlanta. And if any of you preachers have Logos or the Logos app, uh, he's one of the uh, proficient contributors to Logos. I'm talking about the system, how it works. Uh, he's a brilliant guy, brilliant brother. And God was dealing with him on teaching about uh, this term spiritual abuse. And so when he began to speak about spiritual abuse, and, and, and I'll get into what spiritual abuse is in a minute, when he began to explain it, 
the Holy Spirit just lit a light bulb in me and said, yeah, that's what's been going on. The church has been misusing a term because that's what Satan wants us to do. Satan wants us to call spiritual abuse church hurt. And he does that so that people will have an excuse not to be a part of church so that they won't be saved. They won't receive deliverance. They won't be able to be healed. They won't be able to receive strength. They're going to use church hurt as an excuse when in fact the actual satanic spirit that is at work is spiritual abuse and spiritual manipulation. Okay. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about spiritual abuse from spiritual authority and spiritual leadership. And so I'm going to have to go into a couple of things in the word of God, but I want to define what spiritual abuse is. So, so, um, there's a gentleman, um, Alan Parr, and he says that spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader uses their charisma, their position, their influence, and their power for self-benefit and their followers' detriment. So I'm going to read that again. Spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader, so that could be a pastor, a deacon, uh, somebody, a prophet, evangelist, an apostle, whoever it is, who uses their charisma, their power, their influence and their position for their own benefit and their followers' detriment. So whenever we're looking into uh, spiritual abuse, it comes from somebody who is in a position of authority. It can also operate in uh, through, through group efforts, right? So power in numbers, we're going to deal with that in a minute. It also comes from misallocation of authority. So we're going to deal with all kind of jumping all three of those things. Everyone here is familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And um, I, I was supposed to be home, so I don't have my NASB or my ACSB Bible. I have the good old King James. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to read through this. And you don't have to go here, but you can read 2 Samuel 11 when, when you get home. But I want you to hear, um, so I'm not going to read everything, but as we all know, it's a hot summer night in in Jerusalem, and Bathsheba happens to be bathing, uh, and David is on top of his roof, and he sees her bathing, and she is Uriah the Hittite's uh, wife, right? Now, Uriah the Hittite is, of course, one of David's 37 mighty men, right? David has 37 mighty men, and when you read 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 39, you read about these 37 men that were uh, like David's strong horse. They stood with David. And so this gentleman was a righteous man. And of course, we know the story of Uriah, how he tragically dies in battle uh, due to him being so righteous and sticking with, uh, I may, I would rather be a servant, be a bodyguard at the doorstep of the king. And that means something. Then, then my brothers be out there fighting, my comrades out there fighting, and I'm back home just living it up with my wife. Well, that was all a part of David's intention because he had gotten Bathsheba pregnant. So we know this much. But notice the spiritual abuse. David is God's choice for king. David is God's servant. David is God's choice for the, the messianic lineage. Check that out now. God chose David to be king. God chooses David as a servant. But not just that, even broader than all that, David is God's choice for messianic lineage. Jesus is is going to come through the loins of David. This is all God's doing and will. And so everybody talks about how David is a man after God's own heart. Absolutely. But look at God's role in this. God is crazy. If you think God's crazy about Moses, God is crazy about David. 
for Jesus to come through the lineage of David. And so David is king. And so what he does is he calls for Bathsheba to, 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 to be brought to him. Now notice that spiritual abuse is already at work because the king is overstepping his boundaries. He is literally disobeying the laws of the Torah that he believes in, that he wrote Psalms about. Remember, David wrote the Psalm in Psalm 119 and said that the law was like gold to him, that, that the law was more, more precious than silver. This man is crazy about the truth and the word of God and being a true Israelite. But what happens is in the process now, um, he breaks that very law that he holds so dear by utilizing spiritual abuse. He oversteps his authoritative uh, gifts that God has given him as king and uses fear-mongering as a tactic to get what he wants. All right, now you have to stay with me because he calls for Bathsheba and the Bible says that as he calls uh, for Bathsheba, he sends men out to go get her. So notice now, spiritual abuse is not only affecting Bathsheba, it's affecting the servants of David. Think about that. That's crazy. So he gets somebody to, instead of him going to do it, he gets somebody who serves him, who works for him in the palace to do it for him. These men serve the same God David served. So more than likely, they didn't want to sin. More than likely, they knew this. Everybody knew this woman was married because everyone knew who Uriah was. But they, out of fear of the king, I don't want to go against the king. I don't want to go against the man of God. I don't want to go against the leadership because he's God's servant. He's God's choice. But no, 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 no. Out of fear, I'm scared. We must do what the king says, even if it means we have to disobey the king of glory. This is what spiritual abuse does to those who are trying to serve faithfully to leadership. Now, what happens is, and Steph, I, I didn't even think about this. If you think about it, if you get kind of deep with it, David is at so much fault here, but think about it like this. So even if David didn't know who Uriah was, even if he was a nobody, and he, and he wasn't, but even if he was a nobody, David knew who Bathsheba was because his dad's name is Eli. He is one of David's closest bodyguards. Even further, Bathsheba's granddaddy is Ahithophel, who is one of who is David's trusted counselor. Iliam paid a get a dowry to Uriah's family, or Uriah rather paid a, dow a dowry to to Iliam to have Bathsheba, which means they loved this young man. They served in the same military. All of these men were willing to die for David. Uriah was willing to die for David. Iliam was his personal guard, so he, bodyguard, so he was willing to die for David. Ahithophel was his counselor. It makes sense now that when Absalom raises up against David, Ahithophel betrays David and tells uh, um, Absalom, I will cut David's head off and bring it to you swiftly. He does this because he's dealing with the bitterness and pain of what has happened to his granddaughter. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying all that is tied in with what happened with David and Bathsheba? Yes. Lord have mercy. Lord if, have you mercy. Study the, if you study the word of God, if you study the scriptures, you will find out that that Iliam, yeah, that's his name. Iliam is her father. Ahithophel is her grandfather. And all of these men 
personally worked with David. David knew this woman was married. Not only that, he knew who her he knew who her family was because these men faithfully served him. They were willing to die for the king, and he still spiritually abused his authority. This was not, they would have never called this Israel hurt, kingdom hurt. No, the, 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 the nation, the body is not at fault for this hurt. The leader, the abuser is at fault for this hurt. Oh, hey, hey, babe. <laughs> Lady D, my wife is here. God bless you. I'm so glad my wife is tuning in all the way from New York. So, so think about that now. You have to consider all of those factors and you have to see how poisonous and how slowly but steadily spiritual abuse works. Why is this important, Pastor? Well, it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, spiritual abuse doesn't just come from spiritual leaders, but when the church joins in and say, we're going to cover the man of God. Now, I'm, I'm, gonna get, I'm, I'm moving ahead of myself. Here it is. David manipulates the word, manipulates truth, manipulates what is right to get what he wants. Y'all have to watch for these signs. That's what the spiritual abuser does. They will manipulate truth. Manipulate. How many times have we heard, we've heard preachers use our Hebrews 13, submit to those who have leadership over you, submit to those. They think that that means to, you have to unequivocally obey me in everything I tell you to do. But you must remember that that scripture also says, for they give watch over your soul, not over your life. I have to tell Greater Harvest all the time. I have to tell my church. I am the pastor. I watch over your soul. I'm not going to tell you what shoestrings to buy and what toothpaste to buy. And, and some people, oh, I got to go to the man of God before I date. I got to go to the woman of God before I choose this roommate. I got to go to the, the church. I got to go to the elders before I move out of town. And I'm not telling you not to get counsel, but these people place pastors place leadership. And I don't want to just lay it out to pastors because I'm going to get into deacons and elders in just a moment. They place leadership in the place of idolship. And I tell people all the time, idols are just distractions that you refuse to confront. And you let them metastasize and grow. And so because out of fear, not out of respect, out of fear, you never confronted leadership for their abuse. You let a distraction become an item. I, I want to talk about that a little bit, you know, because yeah. especially, you know, as we see in the household of faith, where a lot of um, a lot of pastors and leaders and deacons and those who have that spiritual authority, um, they are put on pedestals. Now, not that they're they ask to be put on pedestals, but they're put on pedestals nonetheless, and then they stay on the pedestal. So, mm -hmm. I mean, when we're talking about, you know making sure we're not spiritually abusing anyone. If we notice that people are putting us on a pedestal, then it is mm -hmm. very important for that spiritual leader to then remove themselves down from the pedestal and get back down with the people because we can all see it. We can tell when people are bigging us up and people are encouraging us and coming to us. We have to then turn the authority right back on them so we don't have that abuse because you have to have a level of spiritual authority to be able to even operate in spiritual abuse. Come on. Nah. <laughs> If I oh, oh, oh. <laughs> hey, good God. No, I like this. I like this setting. Yeah, so sis, I'm, I want you to notice what you said. I want us to go to Ezekiel 34, those that can. And sometimes it's hard to find Ezekiel, so you ain't got to worry about it. I'll just read it to you. But Ezekiel 34, and once again, I'm reading the KJV. I don't usually read KJV. I read it. I grew up reading it. Most of us grew up reading it, so we quote it when we we're preaching. 
but I, I wouldn't usually read this. I read it. Um, I'm reading it, though, because this is the Bible that I had near me. It says, and the word of the Lord came unto me. This is Ezekiel saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? They eat the fat and they clothe themselves with wool. Ye kill them that are fed. So notice, God is saying, Ezekiel, prophesy against these shepherds, these leaders. Remember the word pastor uh, was, is not, it wouldn't relatively been, have been used in the New Testament. I think it's only used once or twice in Ephesians chapter four. The real word is shepherd. That's why the word pastor sounds like pasture, right? So it's, it's shepherd. So, so what happens is these shepherds have been fleecing sheep, killing the sheep and eating them, taking the fat. They feed not the flock. The disease have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty you have ruled them. And they were scattered, verse 5, because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all of the beasts of the field when they were scattered. So not only have you pillaged and done a disservice to the sheep, but you left them out in the open vulnerable. Now the devil can come in and say, y'all been hurt by the church. No, you weren't hurt by the church. But because you left them out in the open, it happens. Let me read this. My sheep wandered, verse 6, through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock have became prey, and my flock have became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds. Notice, these people are God's shepherds. We're going to revisit that. David is God's choice. These leaders are God's shepherds. These are God's shepherds. They did not feed my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and not my flock. Verse 10, thus saith the Lord, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. Even if the leader is anointed, can preach, is theologically sound, is biblically accurate, is spiritually gifted, is great at administration and leadership. The moment they abuse their authority and overstep their boundaries, they're still God's leaders, but God says he's against them and he takes his flock away from them, which means if you are in a church with any of these signs, you need to get out because this is causing trauma. This is causing mental health issues. Think about that, brother. I believe they were in Pennsylvania, this church. And, and there was this whole, the whole shepherding movement, which was healthy in the beginning. But what begins to happen now is we're going to tell people, hey, if you don't obey authority, um, don't talk to them. They used to do that back in the day. They, they called it, put them on the back bench, right? And don't talk to them and don't speak to them. And nobody in the church, not even your family is allowed to talk to you if you're a part of the congregation. Nobody can talk to them. And this young man went out and killed himself. The mom tried to reach him, couldn't reach him. Call, call, tried to call his family, couldn't speak to anybody, killed himself. Someone should have brought up charges against that ministry for allowing that. And notice the group politics now. 
Notice this, because when the question was asked to the church about it, oh no, we don't know nothing about that. Everything, I've been going to this church all these years, I've never heard of such a thing. It's just like what happens at black family cookouts. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen at white family cookouts. I'm talking about black folk because I'm black. Black family cookouts. You got this baby that comes up and says, uncle so-and-so touched me. And the cousin says it, and the sister says it. No, he didn't. You was the one wanted. Look how you dress. Look, look what kind of pictures you put on social media. Huh? And the church is doing the same thing. Pastor? Because oh, <laughs> now you're uncovering the things that we don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. The generational things that we don't want to speak about. Mm -hmm. How uncle so-and-so touched somebody and auntie so-and-so because it goes for both. How cousin so-and-so is, is a known molester, is a known toucher. But nobody wants to say anything. Mm -hmm. Nobody's seen anything. Nobody's nobody's heard anything. And I have an aunt who says, we shove so much stuff under the rug that now we're tripping over it. We're tripping over all, I mean, my God. Oh, my God. And they're intertwined. The fit, because the family life and church life are so connected, everything that happens in the church happens in the family. It's just it's yes. just one long extension of it. You're, you're on it. <laughs> Jesus. No, no and think, think about that because there, there's so much power there's so much power in what you're saying. This is going to help people who, and God, God wants us to stop saying church hurt. So, so let's, let's, eliminate, let's eliminate that out of our vocabulary in the body of Christ because Satan wants to hide behind that veil. It's not church hurt. It's like if I go around and, um, and I, I go around and I say, um, I was saying this to, to sis earlier today, to my big sister earlier, earlier today, um, Dominique does this to me. Dominique does, and everybody's just, lambasting Dominique, talking about her. I'm going to get upset. I'm going to want to fight. I'm going to want to defend my bride. So when we do this, when we start saying, church hurt is church hurt, come on, Steph. We start saying, it's church hurt is church hurt is church hurt, right? Jesus gets offended. This is not church hurt. These are individuals who are guilty for abusing those who are easily manipulated. And sometimes because they belong to God in most cases, they're not aware that they're being spiritually abusive. I'm going to show you how. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 4, the apostle says, how can we preach the word of God and serve tables? Let us designate seven men who are full of the wisdom and the Holy Ghost and have a good report to serve tables. These men are deacons. They're not elders. They're deacons. What a lot of churches have done, if they, they have misallocated authority and given pastoralship responsibility to deacons. So now the pastor has to preach how the deacons want him to, or they're going to they're going to take his job away from him, or they're going to they're going to strip him of authority, or they're going to find somebody else a doc. Doc in October, you got to go. Are we going to change the locks on the doors? Spiritual abuse, even doc? being used against pastors. Doc, 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 doc. <laughs> now, you want to have every Baptist deacon coming at your house with pitchforks? Tiki torches <laughs> because now you're talking about it. So now spiritual abuse is even being used against the pastor by the deacons mm -hmm. because in the order of it, it's the pastor who is mm -hmm. the shepherd, not the deacons who are the shepherd. Unless unless I'm reading the the word wrong. No, you absolutely. Who's sis. the shepherd? Sis, the pastor is the shepherd. So so what we what we were speaking about earlier. So what the pastor needs. And, and a lot of churches are guilty of this. 
Why are we ordaining people into ministry for the deacons to have authority over them when they're supposed to serve as elders? Excuse me. <laughs> say that. Say that again. And I do want to say, uh, Lady D is talking about. I, I got him. I am ready. You know she's back in New York. You know she's ready to knock if you buck. Listen, I'm with you, Lady D. You know. You know. You know. I will take a flight real quick. But anywho, say that. Say rewind that again and say yeah. that. Again, okay. So so let's say, man, uh, Steph, you're a, you're a minister. Uh, uh, licensed minister, you have ministers, so we all know how the licensing and ordination process works. When you license somebody, you're saying, hey, uh, we're giving you this this uh, this seal that you can minister in this church and you represent this church everywhere you go. Um, you can't necessarily be a pastor, but you are a minister. You're serving this church through preaching or through leading some area auxiliary in the church. The day comes where you decide to ordain this person, right? Now we're saying that you're, you're an elder now. You're not just a minister, but even though we still get called you, they call them reverends. In my background, they call them uh, elders, right? But biblically, it's an elder. Whether you call a reverend or whatever, you know, it's nothing wrong with using that title, but they're called elders. Why do the deacons still have authority over these elders? When, the, when you ordain this person, you are actually saying, hey, look, the pastor is the leading teaching elder amongst other elders who are there to hold him accountable. But how can they do that if they only have powers, power as figureheads where the deacons are running the show? The sheep are running the show. Oh, my Lord. The sheep are running the show. Hold on. Get somebody get them. Somebody oh, no, Anybody there to help them? Ushers? Ushers, are you there? No, ushers. No, peace. The sheep are running the show. The deacons who are a part of the flock yes. were not ordained to be the shepherd. The mm -hmm. sheep are running the show. Mm -hmm. My God. Mm -hmm. And some churches love to have it that way. So, so these churches will uh, create certain dogmatic practices that uh, actually will hold their church back. Uh, oh, that's Elder Walker. Bless you, man. Elder Walker was, I, I was actually one of my elders, right? So, um, so yeah, so just, just think about that. Think about these things. Think about pastors that say things like, um, it's, now this is a common, this is a new, uh, spiritual abuse tactic that's used today in the millennial in the millennial generation of Christianity. We want you, okay, we're going to plant you in a church, but we want you to preach just like me. I want you to approach the text just like me. I want you to dress just like me. You, you, you're leaving out the personality of that person. Now, now there is nothing wrong, and I, I go through it with my ministers, sermon structure, sermon prep, but be you. Be you, because what you're saying is the church can't run without my personality. That's not true. The church will never be the church without Christ. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, right? Christ is our anchor. Christ is what's holding us to the ground. So we have to be very careful that we're not even creating pawns out of preachers. Spiritual abuse that's leading to trauma coming from spiritual authority. It's real. Um, let me say this. Okay, here it is. Oh, this is good. This is good. We have to be careful. This is another thing. Don't label people who disagree with you as rebellious. Okay? Because then what happens, that's another thing that they do, right? Um, they isolate people. Then they, they, they label them as rebellious first. Then they isolate these, these individuals. They don't want anybody to have any dealing with them. And we see this happening amongst Jehovah's Witnesses. Black Hebrew Israelites, uh, uh, Mormons, but it's also happening 
in churches. It's very much happening in churches. So if this is happening in churches, and those of us who grew up in Pentecostal churches or strict traditional Baptist churches, we understand how that power can be concentrated at the top. But it's not just the pastor. There, there may be a new pastor, but the power is concentrated in the mothers of the church. And notice, spiritual abuse is at an all-time high in churches that have works-based soteriology. $2 word that simply means if you go to a church that's making your salvation and your journey with Christ all about what you do, Dr. Frankie Ray says salvation is not spelled D-O. Salvation is not spelled D-O-I-N-G. It's spelled D-O-N-E. And what he was saying is salvation is not something that you do and it's not something that you're doing, but salvation is something that was already done. The, I'm about to say it. Oh, Lord. I feel myself go timber yeah. going out. My God. <laughs> My good God. <laughs> My good right? God. So so Jesus said it is so finished. When you, when you go he, to said, he said it's finished. He said it's done. It's, it, that's it. It's finished. What are we trying to do? Oh. Watch this, sis. Check this out. Think about this, too. <clears throat> in an age where there is such bad leadership, and I mean politically, you just heard about what happened in Haiti. There's never been any consistent functioning government in Haiti for centuries, right? Okay. Uh, with what's going on in our nation, right? Okay. All of these things, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of traumatic experiences with leadership. So in a church, naturally, quite naturally, a person that gets a chance to be close to the pastor, they're going to want that. They're going to want this, especially if you have a pastor who pastors 500 plus people, 1,000 plus people. If you get a chance to be connected to that person, you're going to want that. The moment they use that personal relationship as a means to manipulate you away from your family, right, out draining you dry. Don't get me wrong. You're supposed to serve the house of God with your whole heart. But the moment that you can be pulled away from what God has called you to do at home, on your job, or whatever, when your life is being ran by the church, and they guilt trip you into doing what they tell you to do. That's also spiritual abuse. And so you'll be going around saying, hey, Vanessa, Vanessa's here. You'll be going around saying, um, I got to do what the man of God told me. I couldn't get no rest last night. The Holy Spirit was shaking me all night. But no. They've gotten into your spirit. They've gotten to you. That's what the devil, the Bible says, don't be ignorant of, of the Satan's devices. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to get right in your mind. The scripture calls it doctrines of demons. Demon, demons come from the Greek word daemon, which means knowledge, right? Demons activate at optimal level in your mind. So now they're building this, thank you, Elder Walker, they're building this slave master relationship in ministry. Well, you become a do boy and a step in. Don't get me wrong. I served my pastor. I served in churches. But I'm going to tell you about an experience I had while I was, when I moved down south. Where my wife was being discipled. My wife never grew up in church. And I didn't see how spiritual abuse had implicated me. Where I would quote things like open rebuke is better than secret love. And I, and I would figure that, uh, that that meant, well, I have every right to go off on people in front of people. But people forget that the scripture goes on to say, and the wounds of a friend are more faithful than the kisses of an enemy. Contextually, what it's saying is, 
it's much better to confront those you love, right? Than to really be their enemy secretly by not confronting them at all. That's what it's really saying. It's not saying you're supposed to stand people up in the middle of the church and go off on them, make your sermon about them because they told you, hey, pastor, I can't go do homeless ministry. I can't go do street ministry this week. I got to go to my, uh, uh, my cousin's birthday party. No. And don't get me wrong, I get frustrated sometimes when people don't serve. It's the difference between people that's not serving at all and people that's actually being faithful and because a lot of these these leaders, deacons, pastors, whatever, ministers, these leaders were never good at anything. And so once they find their niche in church, they're going to use that. I'm good at this. I, I met plenty of people. You know, my brother's football player. I wasn't good at um, uh, being a football player. Uh, uh, my sister was a teacher. I can't read that well. But when I get a microphone, I feel like Michael, how Michael Jordan feels with a basketball. I'm going to use that. And then you start hearing this a lot. Now, church, understand what I'm saying to hear my heart. You start hearing pastor being called dad, first lady being called mom, right? When in truth, the Bible does tell us straight, straight, uh, straight out, John calls uh, the church his children in the faith, right? The apostle uh, Paul says that there we have not many masters, right? He says we have not many uh, uh, fathers, but we have many instructors, right? So he says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. So yes, there is this spiritual father that God has given you. But everybody will not, and that is always, when you look at it, Elijah, Elisha, when you look at it in the text, is dealing with a mentor-mentee relationship. Everybody in the congregation does not have that level of closeness with the pastor. Quit calling him dad. Because God may be having you mentored by somebody else. That doesn't mean that that isn't your pastor. But well, that means is you may be being mentored by someone else. But the moment you start saying, dad, mom, boundaries, the lines are blurred. There's no longer any boundaries. And then you start inviting this person to say things to you and do things to you that God himself isn't pleased with. And then you have to blame yourself because they wouldn't even know that they're abusing you and the cause of all of this trouble. So I just want to, I want to, um, that, that's, that's good. I'm gonna mute myself. Go ahead, since I want to hear you. Yeah, because it it really talks about two things. One, you were talking about pastors or people in leadership who, in a secular, you know, in a secular setting, don't consider themselves to be great, right? So, right, you come into the church and you are a superstar. You know, that's why we see these big old egos. You know, people having a King Louis the Fourth chair in a storefront, right? That's why we see this. And I'm, I'm only borrowing from E. Dewey Smith. And he says, you have 40 members and 39 of them are your family, but you think you're something big and great, right? So that's why we see a lot of that because now we have attributed so much of our worth to the church. It also harps on another thing. And here's the condition in me. People who have mother, father issues with their own personal family. So you come to the church and you are looking for a mom. You are looking for a dad. Most pastors are men. You are looking for that father figure. And if the pastor is not of a good heart, right? If they are dealing with their own insecurities and their own issues, they will abuse, they will abuse, they will abuse. So therapists and counselors we have, and, and Lady D knows this, we have um, an ethical code that we run by. You cannot um, give services to certain people because you're crossing boundaries. It, this is, spiritual abuse is all a, it's all a boundary issue. 
It boils down to a big boundary issue. You're crossing boundaries because you are taking advantage of people's openness and vulnerability. So now I'm thinking like, oh shoot, like, okay, so people call their pastor dad. And I don't believe you're saying there's anything wrong with that, but let's look at how we're doing it. If it's in um, relationship with two people who are healed and whole, right? They don't, they're not trying to manipulate anybody to anything, right? Then it's like, okay, cool. Cause you're looking for that father figure. That's awesome. But if it's because you're trying to replace your own like biological father with this pastor, that leaves room for the enemy to use someone to manipulate someone. And I, that, yes, that's exactly what we're going through. And people are breaking spiritual ethical codes in spiritual abuse, right? <laughs> Don't faint. I saw you about to go out. Don't go out. We're breaking spiritual ethical codes. All while you're speaking, I'm hearing ethical codes, ethical codes. Every other um, corporation and business is run and guided by these ethical codes. And in the church, we break them left and right. So we know we're not of the world and know the church isn't a business, but there are ethical codes that we are are are, are living by Yes, the commandment, sure, yes. But we're talking about morality. This is a morality issue. Spiritual abuse is a morality issue. So all while you're talking, I'm like, I'm thinking of the ethical codes that they told us. And I had a professor who every class he started, he said, just don't sleep with the clients and you'll be all right. Just don't sleep with the clients, you'll be fine. And we're like, why is he saying that so much? When you actually get into counseling and you realize the vulnerable space that you're in, you can see how some lines can be crossed. It's the same way. Now I'm comparing it to the exact same thing. We can see how lines will be crossed. So all while you're talking, I'm like, oh man, making the comparisons and all the my synapses are like, yo, this is the same exact thing. And we've been breaking these ethical codes left and right. Sis, think about this. And those that want, there's a book, um, there, there's a paper written called St. Paul's Code of Ethics. And it do, I, ha I have a copy of it, but it deals with uh, the Apostle Paul, how he dealt with each church, specifically the Corinthian church. Because you talk about breaking these ethical codes. Remember now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul rebukes the Corinthian church because he says, there's a guy that has been abusing his authority in the congregation by having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. Paul says, and you all have refused to discipline him. He's abusing authority, and it is the church's responsibility, leadership's responsibility, to discipline this person. What in the world are we supposed to do with people that's like this? We are supposed to confront them. Listen to this. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. I, I, I'm, just, now I'm just in the text now. Now, at this point, now, now this point is just Bible study. Because listen to what, listen to what sis said. Okay, well, well, what am I supposed to do? Help your, your pastor is your spiritual brother. Your pastor is your spiritual sister if it's a woman of God. Help them by doing this. First Timothy chapter five gives us a code of ethics on how to correct and discipline elders. That means people that are older than us and people in spiritual authority. Because he uses elders at one, once in verse two, then he uses elders in verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That means your pastor should get a couple of coins for doing what he's doing, okay? Especially they who labor in word and in doctrine. Scripture says, Muslim not doctrine, tread out the corn. Verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, 
that others also may fear. Now, what happens is the church has taken that, leadership has taken that and used it on the flock. When the text tells you, after you have gone through the proper code of ethics with leadership, that means that two or three witnesses, now two or three witnesses, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. This was a common understanding in first century Judaism. That if you went before a court of law, if you had a trial, you had to have two or three witnesses and the story had to corroborate. Remember the night that Jesus was getting ready to be crucified. Mark says all of these witnesses were coming out of the yin yang, but nobody's stories were lining up. They really were supposed to let it go after two or three people couldn't line up stories, but they were so desperate to kill Jesus. They were just pulling everybody, pulling everybody, pulling everybody, pulling everybody. And still nobody's stories add, adds up. Which means that there ought to be thorough examination into if this pastor is spiritually abusing the flock. That's what this text means, two or three witnesses. There ought to be some thorough introspection as to what this individual is guilty of doing. Once you find out, that means that they have done everything they are supposed to do to find out that this person is out of order. You need to correct this person. Hey, you can do it just like this. Hey, saints of God. I'm Elder Jones, and this is Pastor, um, you know, I don't want to say nobody's last name. So this is Pastor X. And and Pastor X uh, has, we have corrected him. We love him. We pray for him. He's going to be in a process of restoration for blah, 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 blah. The church is going to move forward. He can do it himself or the church, or you can do it. But there ought to be some explanation. Or we will end up with cases like, and I, my God, I don't want to say anybody's name. And I almost did. But I'll say the names of those who are dead. Ravi Zacharias, right? A person who I loved, I watched, I admired his apologetics ministry, how he defended the faith. Manipulating women in third world countries with relationships with him and money for sexual favors. So notice, it's not just happening in Pentecostalism. It's happening in theological circles. It's happening in reform circles. It's happening in the Catholic Church. It's happening in Islam, outside of our faith. It's happening everywhere. Everybody wants a sense of power. It's happening in some of your homes. Yeah, you, you have all the strength in the world until you need your sugar daddy to pay your bills. Then you will allow him to manipulate you. The devil just wants to keep this bait and switch thing going on with you to ruin your life. It's happening to some young preacher now. A preacher that has a calling on his life and God sees it. But you want to be held in the background. This is all a part of spiritual abuse. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to read one more thing. So, Pastor, what are we supposed to do? How do we recognize this? How do we, what, what are we supposed to do? What is the church supposed to do? What, I'm a pastor. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to do what Matthew chapter 26, uh, Matthew chapter 26, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25 and 26. Matthew chapter 20, I have been highlighted here in my Bible. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 and 26. Matthew 20, verse 25 and 26. But Jesus called unto him and said, Ye know that the rulers of the Gentiles exercise dominion over people. That means cruel authority. And that they are great, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. That means uh, imposing power on the weak. But listen to what Jesus says to us, to, to shepherds, to leaders, to preachers. He says, but it shall not be so among you. Oh, God help. He says, Abuse of authority is common in the world. When you practice it in the church, 
you are completely disobeying a command of Jesus. It shall not be so among you. That is in the second person aorist imperative. That means aorist is a it was, was a part of speech used in the Greek. And what it meant was this is a this is something that's supposed to be obeyed at all times. Imperative means it's a command. Aorist means at all times, no past, present, or future. He says, not at any time should among leadership, eldership, the deacons, the servants, the preachers, whoever it is, the choir leaders, the, the praise and worship leaders, in the media teams, in the sound crew, not at one time should you try to exercise authority like the world does. He says, but over here, this is how we lead in Zion. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. The Bible is telling us tonight that the true replication and the true image of biblical leadership is servant leadership, not abusing authority, not imposing authority on the weak. Notice what happens in Acts chapter 16. This girl has a spirit of divination and all her life she brought her masters much gain. She was used to being abused, used to being manipulated, used to being used for this gift that she had. Once she finds Christ, she's following behind Paul and she says, these men come in the name of the Lord. And I always wondered, she's saying the right thing. She's obviously following the ministry. The problem was she was so used to being abused, she thought she had to suck up the leadership. Paul rebuked that. He said, no, I will not allow the spiritual abuse that lives in you, making you think it's okay to be violated, follow you into the kingdom of God. Doc? <laughs> Doc, you, 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 you freeing us tonight by the power of God, giving us a whole new perspective. Jesus. I know I used to think that because she had a demon in her, that's why she was getting rebuked. But Paul was able to see that she was so used to being abused, that she was so used to just always putting on and, and putting on a show for leadership, that she recognized the leadership in them and she was just getting ready to do the same thing. And he interrupted mm -hmm. the cycle. My God. He, My put, God. Uh, he put a monkey wrench in it and said, yes. no more abuse. No more. That's what, that's what tonight is. No more abuse. We're not coming from places of hurt. We're not coming from places of, I want to knock someone out or I'm so mad at this pastor. No, no, we're not coming from that place. We're seeing what it is and we're, we're putting the monkey wrench in and saying no more and we're getting healed and we're getting off the train, the monkey train. It's, it's a circus. The kingdom has become a circus. Eey. I, I, for the life of me, sis, I don't understand. The black church has always been on the forefront of preaching. And, and, being, and being a preacher, you have to have a form of charisma. You do. Nobody wants to listen to a dull preacher. Now, our white brothers and sisters, they're okay with that because they're more self-reflective. They're not like us. I always tell people, black people are just different. We like flashy stuff, right? So we're going we gonna to show off our shades, our shoes. That's how it was in Mother Africa. We just do that. Bright colors, that's us. I'm not mad with us about it no more. We wear J's. That's just how that's that that's just a part of our culture. That's how we do things, and there's nothing wrong with that. All of that charisma when we bring it to the pulpit. One thing that has been holding us back is this fear of something, and it happens in business, it's happening in music. Is this fear of somebody else getting an opportunity? No, you can. Pa pa Pastor, I, I got a job opportunity. I prayed about it. Me and my wife talked about it. And uh, yeah, we're thinking about moving to D.C. 
Oh, no, no, no. The spirit just told me, no, you can't do this. And I had a dream that if you go, you're going to be cursed. Now, don't get me wrong. God does speak to people and tell you, no, don't go. I'm not saying that this is the end all, be all, the means to an end. But I'm telling you, this happens so often. I remember there was a lady in Stark, Florida. No, not Stark. Mm -mm. Not Stark. Uh, sex. Where's where Trayvon Martin got murdered? Sanford. In Sanford, Florida, a, a female pastor had a church. Two young men were getting ready to go to meds, uh, be pre-med um, pre majors, right? They were brilliant. Two brothers, black brothers. And, and she goes and she says, no, God wants you to stay here and serve in his ministry. They ended up being garbage men, hating the church, crying out about church hurt. Nothing the pastor said came to pass. So now everybody's going to say, oh, wow, that's why I don't go to church. That's why I don't go to church. No, 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 no. It's, it's not what. It's abuse. We need spirit-led, spirit-filled therapists like Minister Jones, like my wife, like others who have the Holy Spirit, who are experts in mental health, to show us, hey, you have experienced something traumatic. That's why you mean it. You mean with folks because your pastor was mean to you. Now you're hitting on it because because we are talking about PTSD in the church. So post-traumatic stress disorder in the church. You go through a traumatic experience in the church, right? You leave that church or you stay in that church. You behave like you're still in the traumatic experience. Oh. So you're, yeah, you're mean to everyone. You don't get close to anyone, right? You expect for something horrible to happen in church. So you enter into the gates, not with thanksgiving and praise, but with trepidation and fear. Come on, somebody get them. Usher, usher. Where are the people of God to help the servant? But seriously, so you, you don't enter into the gates, right? With what we're supposed to be entering into because you have the trauma. So you don't form connections. Women in the church, I oh, I can't really, I can't really rock with other women. That's a demon. That's not of God. That's not of God. Oh, I don't get along with women. That's traumatic. Those are traumatic experiences that have happened. I kind of like this catty behavior. <laughs> catty behavior that has happened, and then we just apply it everywhere. Oh, I can't, well, I can't get along with this person. You should see how fast I'm hitting this like button. My, my fingers are just ablazing. But but everything Amen. that happens in the world can be translated and really originated in the church. And so now we're living yeah. our life because, I mean, a lot of people have gotten away from the church now. But all we know, our ancestors, all they knew was church, the kingdom yes. and doing church work and going to conferences. That was their life. If you were a janitor in the world, yeah, you could be a pastor in the church. Right. Yes. And that would change the whole dynamic. So yes. we live our life just like we're in church. Yes. Everything that happens there happens in our families. We don't yes. talk about stuff. We don't, we don't, we just don't know the path that happens. So it does take someone to interrupt the system and teachings like this that say, I, I had something traumatic happen to me. I have been a victim of abuse. We have been in dom spiritual domestic violence situations. Mm. My God, I want to cry. I want to cry because we're in these spiritual DV situations and don't even understand the people that we're putting our trust in. That we okay, you can you can show me the way. They are the main ones abusing us. They they are the main ones, and it's like you don't know how to get out until you know that you're in it. And this is really helping people's eyes be open that I was in this or I'm in it now, but we don't have to stay there. 
And even if we're out, we don't have to, we don't have to still keep repeating that same cycle in our head because that's what happens. It's called ruminating. So we're out of the situation. We ruminate and think about it over and over and over again. We can't even function in our daily lives. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. If we're still in it or if we're out of it, but still in it, because you can be out of a situation, but still in it because we haven't let it go. We're getting off the train. This is the wrench that is interrupting the cycle. We're getting off. We recognize what it is and we're moving forward. So we don't have to stay stuck in the same Man. thing that we've been going on. And we don't pass it down to our children. This is the generation that breaks those generational curses. That Man. we say our children won't suffer what we did. They won't Man. go through what we did because we're stopping it. And Man. then we'll see a whole influx of people coming back to the church. Because the abuse has been eradicated, right? The abuse is gone. People are healed, and then we'll see the people coming back to not the building, but the people coming back to the people. Yeah, 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 uh, this is something that's been done out of her free time. This is something that she's doing because she loves to do it. And we need to know how um, that even in this, there are still certain things in scripture that God promises us. So sowing, being a blessing, being submitted to the teaching from the man and woman of God, being yielded to what's being ministered. He said they're worthy of double honor. That's where we get the word honorarium from, actually. Or you give preachers honorarium, the public speakers honorarium. Up for word and doctrine. That means for preaching and for teaching. That means what they're giving you inwardly and what you can. So what they give you in house and what you carry with you out of house. Watch this. Last thing I want to say. It's almost eight o'clock. I want to say this, and I'm, I'm gonna turn it over to you. I gotta drive the homestead. I want to say this. The last. This all. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Celebrity church culture. Now, I'm going to say some names, and when I say these names, don't think, I mean, you're probably going to think negative, so I mean, you're going to think what you want to think. But I'm not saying these names. I'm saying this for an example. Carl Lentz of Hillsong, New York, right? John Gray. Um, uh, Tasha Cobbs. And, and there, may, there may be no media surrounding these people. I don't know anything about it. I don't know these people personally. Okay. Uh, um, uh, uh, Pastor Judah Smith, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, whoever. Great preachers, great teachers, but there is this celebrity culture we create around them. They look like rock stars, right? And we treat them as such. And there was a lot of me-centered, self-centered gospel teaching in that. That also can lead to spiritual abuse. But then we are at fault for it that time around. We have somebody needs to be able to be, and I don't know if they have this, I'm just using those as, as examples. Not speculation, not conspiracy theories about how they held their fingers up and they were pre, I'm not in all that. I'm talking about the things that we as the body of Christ have created, creating these people to be things that God has not called them to be. Lisa Field says something, I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna let Steph take over, we'll pray or whatever, we'll take questions. Lisa Fields of Jew 3 Project, go follow her. Great ministry. She said that 
so many people because of celebrity church culture have been crying out that they want to pursue the nations. First thing she says is God wants to do a work in you before he does a work through you. And she says, so instead of you trying to run to the nations, God wants us to run to the mirror. I got to get out of here. All right. If I need an usher. <laughs> I, I'll see y'all. <laughs> ah, sis, come back. Ah! Say that again, please. Yeah. Please. God, before God does a work through us, he wants to do a work. He does a work in us. He desires to do a work in us. So before you run to the nations, you first must run to the mirror. Right? So before before you try to give inspiration, do some introspection. Holy Spirit, reveal me to me. But in celebrity church culture, we are allowing pastors to play the role of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit convicts you. Holy Spirit shows you yourself. He will convict the Lord. This is what the Bible says. He is the great comforter. He is the one that will come and reveal all problems about you to you. He is the one that takes your prayer when you don't know what to say and make that a perfect prayer to God. He is the one that can take groanings and unknown words and unknown languages and, un and unsaid things and make them meaningful before the presence of God and all of his holy angels. And you're depending on me to do that for you? I will fail you every time. But if I am sticking to preaching the Bible, preaching the text, giving you godly counsel, actually telling you what the Holy Spirit has told me, when the Holy Spirit tells me to tell it to you, when the Holy Spirit is not going to always be giving me prophecies for you, that is a way to keep that connection and that chain to you. Why is God always showing you something about this person and not about yourself? Run to the mirror! Pastor, I beg every preacher tonight, tonight, run to the mirror and ask the Lord, Lord, before you do a work through me, do a work in me. I wish I had Marvin Wines in. He said, I see your work in others, but I want you to work in me. That was the cry of the old church. That was the cry of those travailing saints. That's what got our ancestors from the south to the north. It's because they seen God do stuff for others, but instead of being jealous hearted and instead of trying to create pedestals for themselves, they said, God, do it in me. They said, they said, it's no secret what the Lord can do. What he's done for others, he can do for you with arms wide open. He'll part of you. There is no secret what God can do. We have to do away with the spiritual abuse. We have to stop calling it church hurt. We have to call it abuse. We need to therapize it, as my sister says. We need to deal with it. We need to confront it. We need to preach about it. We need to teach about it. And we need to ask God as pastors, Lord, show me me. Show me if I'm letting my deacons control me. The devil is a lie. He's not going to tell me what to preach and how to preach. The sheep need to hear what God is saying through me. And if you can't serve, if, if that means I won't get your money, if that means you won't cut a big check because your family bought the sex E-section pews and your name is on the fellowship hall wall, too bad. I would rather have Jesus, the silver and gold, riches untold, fame, fortune. I'm pursuing God. Amen. God bless you. I love y'all so much. Uh, since we can take questions. Yeah, uh, let's do that. You know, and just while you're speaking, it's like the sheep have muzzled the shepherd. The sheep have put the muzzle on the shepherd. 
and we're we're out of order. We're we're completely and utterly out of order. We are so busy, right? We turn that mirror on everybody else, but and is it because we we don't like what we see in the mirror? Mm. Mm-hmm. We don't like that. We don't like what we see in the mirror. So, man, Pastor, you came through. I mean, with the Holy Ghost fire, and I love that we have we have really put pastors in the place of the Holy Spirit or, or spiritual leaders because it's not just pastors. Some people see their deacons and will talk to them before they go and talk to God. We're out of line. Any elders, any prophetess, any prophet, we're out of line if we are seeking them. We, we don't have to worry about talking to the priest. We, we, that, that time is done. Jesus tore the veil. We, we, we can go. We can go right directly. So you blessed us. Um, if there are any questions, please um, put them in the chat. Um, any comments? Any, I mean, my God, people are going in on the comments. I'm in the, I'm in the mirror, doc. You know, I mean, <laughs> my God. This, so so we, do, we do have a question from Brother Troy Kwan. I'm going to put it up on the okay, screen. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a couple of things. Number one, there, there needs to be, number one, I always say that the Bible, the Bible says rather that there in a multitude of counsel, there's safety. That wisdom comes from a multitude of counsel. It says both things. Right? They both mean the same thing, really. And what, what we need to do is have some discussion. I think that the way churches are set up needs to be done away with. And we need to create a more biblical model. All right. So, of course, there still needs to be a senior pastor. There needs to be somebody that's preaching and teaching and ministering to your soul every week. But all that power should be concentrated in that person. And they shouldn't want all that responsibility. Right. There should be some uh, tiers of leadership that model the scriptures. Right. So the Bible talks about first apostles, then prophets. But but really what the scripture is saying is that there should be somebody who sets foundational uh, a vision for the church. And then I, every church needs a mental health ministry. Every church needs a branch of ministry that deals with grief, that deals with PTSD, that deals with spiritual abuse and trauma that we have experienced in church space. Right. Because your feelings can be betrayed when you see church as a safe space and it becomes a place of hurt. My wife is right. We need some trauma focused education taught in the church. On all of these conferences we're having, it's good to have breakout sessions. But the main preachers some nights need to be spiritual, spirit led, Holy Ghost filled therapists. Yes, we're going to still focus on the text. Yes, we're going to still focus on Jesus. Jesus is going to be at the center. Jesus don't want you to be crazy because you go to church. He don't want you to lose your mind. The Lord does not want us to be like that brother who was in the caves, pulling chains, biting himself, right? Because we always say legion. He can cast legion out. That was some mental health issues. Because the first thing you notice is nobody wanted to go around him. And when they did, they tried to restrain him. He was hurt. I would, I'm very interested to hear the guy that had Legion's story. But i tell you one thing, I have heard the woman called it the Miss of Adultery story. And I know that she had dealt with a traumatic experience. And as a matter of fact, she was set up because they were there peeping Tom and being peeping Tom through the window waiting on her to screw up, right? I think personally her husband set her up, but that's my own, I can't, I can't get into all that tonight because I have to isolate that. Jesus says, he begins to write in the ground and says, woman, where are those thine accusers? She said, they are not here, Lord. He said, neither, not, neither will I accuse thee. 
Now, this is how spiritual leadership corrects. We restore, we build. He says, go thy way and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon thee. Pastors, it is still our responsibility to correct, to tell truth, and to confront sin. It is not our responsibility to control people's lives. All right. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes to all of that. I mean, the church is the biggest, I think, um, rejecter of mental wellness practices. It's taboo. It's 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 not against God to have therapy or go to see a counselor. He's given us these tools so that we can go ahead and, and be healed well and whole. Oh gosh, he has his glasses on. You know, we want to get the glory. <laughs> We want to get the, the glory about to drop. Yeah. Oh, y'all thought we were done. <laughs> the glasses are on. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, it's so true. We have got to bridge these things together where we have that marriage of mental health and of ministry. It's so, so important. Um, okay, here's another question. Um, here for my 20. Okay, let me see. Um, okay, what about pastors that have trauma? Okay, so <clears throat> what about pastors that have trauma and are leading a flock? That is a great question. Um, so every pastor, I, I, I think pastoring it has to be, it always is. Uh, mentioned as one of the top five most stressful jobs in the nation, it's, it's a very underpaid job and a much desired job, right? Uh, Paul says that he that desires the work of a bishop or pastor or elder, overseer, all same word in that context, in that particular text, they desire a good work. So it is a it is a much sought after job. It is uh, underpaid. It is a lot of overworking, especially if you're gonna plan a church. Uh, and so pastors deal with mental and emotional health issues all the time, myself included. The best thing to do is you need to talk to somebody. You need to encourage your pastor to talk to somebody. You need to encourage your pastor and be a key sponsor in your pastor taking vacations that involve therapy. Okay? So that he's not just getting away with his family to free his mind, clear his mind and be on sabbatical, but that while he's there, you're paying for somebody to talk to him so he can be rejuvenated. He needs a board of elders that are going to surround him and hold him accountable and help him and love him and be there for him and encourage him and be able to pick up where he leaves off. And if you have a pastor that has too serious of, of trauma, very stressful and very strained out, encourage him to retire. Now, I know that that is a curse word in black churches to tell the bishop to retire because this is a life I don't God call me to do. I got to do what God said. God no, you need to retire. You need to know when, when, when your day is done, the sun is set on you. They told David when he went out there, he got old, he tried to fight, and they almost killed him. One of Goliath's brothers almost killed him. One of the young men spared his life and said, listen, how can we live in the light of Israel be extinguished? They said, you need to stay back home. Let us fight, and you just give us wisdom. Right now, what we need from you is advice. We do not need you to fight with us. You taught us how to fight. You you killed Goliath. You killed enough giants. You got it. You didn't hit in caves and hit out in fields. And you didn't raise sheep. You didn't been through it all, bro. Let us do it now. 
you just be at command center to give wisdom. So it's okay to encourage pastors to retire. I do believe in pastors retiring. I do. It is okay to encourage pastors while they're on vacation to get uh, therapy. And it is, you need to be a key sponsor in sewing into your pastor, taking breaks. I just want to, I know my sister hates me doing this. She don't like doing this because she look. Stephanie called me up last night and sowed a seed into me and my wife to take a vacation. And she's always being a blessing to our church, right? And this is a woman that tithes and sows, and I know that she believes in the art of giving, and God blesses her for that. But she don't know she was the fourth person in my inner circle who I trust in the spirit to tell me, and more or less, it's time to take a break. And it's time to talk to somebody, Tim, while you want to break. Don't I we, we talk to people like I feel good on Thursday. I talked to my therapist, but Friday we back in it. Then you got Sunday. You gotta deal with the week, you gotta deal with church. I'm gonna take me a break and go talk to somebody while I'm away. So when I get done talking to him, I can go sleep and relax and get a massage. It is important that we encourage our pastors to do that. I'm so sorry. Continue on since I took a long time talking about that. No, no, you're fine. And then you, what you made was a really good point. And then um, Sister Diana was saying, and we the flock can't make it so hard for pastors to be our leader. I mean, that causes a lot of stress too, you know? Don't, like, Don't you spiritually abuse your pastor. Uh, no. <sighs> yeah, don't do that. That's what Sister Diana is saying. Don't, now, now don't, don't get out. Now, a lot of y'all, you got that bad spirit on you tonight. And you're going to take this. Now, let me correct that because I hear that in the spirit. Get you're going to take this and you're going to think you can go back to church and call your pastor who's been doing right by you and loving you and been there for you and helping you. You've been abusing me. No, no, you've been abusing him. Calling him at 12 midnight while he laying up with his wife, but you're crazy self. God wants you to stop abusing that and you create some boundaries now for yourself because the spotlight ain't focused on you anyway. My God, we always talk about he got to leave and go get the one. The shepherd has to that's a disobedient sheep. People don't, they ain't gonna tell the context behind that. You gotta break that sheep's leg and put that joke around your neck. You gotta break that sheep's leg because he keeps getting away from everybody else. So some of y'all need, y'all need your pastor to just pop, pop your knee right out of place spiritually and carry you on his neck. But my God, when you, when you get carried along with all your family members and all the people in your clique in the corner at church, you're a living contradiction. You cannot abuse your pastor, male or female, first lady or uh, the pastor's husband, which some call the first gentleman. But however we approach that, you cannot abuse leadership in church. Your job is to love them, submit to their teaching, make it easy for them to lead you. By, by Stuff like this ought to make you want to be a mature Christian so that your pastor ain't got to be at your door all the time. And you can go to them for real biblical stuff. You ain't got to go to them for all this foolishness that you need to deal with. You don't need to be shacking up with John. You need your pastor to tell you that? You ain't got no business going back to your baby mama her crazy. You need your pastor to tell you that? All right. You, 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 you're talking good, sir. Because we don't want to, we don't want ushers. You know what? <laughs> the ushers are failing you. And you know how I used to usher back in my day when we were in college. The ushers are failing you, and I am I am appalled and shocked. But in all seriousness, you know we do. We talk about the sheep. That one sheep that you know went went, and the shepherd went and got them. That sheep was disobedient, mm -hmm. and that sheep put the entire flock at risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are we the sheep, are we the sheep putting the entire flock at down. risk? Amen. 
Are, are we putting the entire flock at risk because we're having the shepherd divert their attention from touching the whole flock to come and get our disobedient behinds? Are, are, is that us? Because spiritual abuse goes both ways and we have to look at what part that we played. So Help we, me, we Jesus. Really talked about, okay, people in spiritual leadership, but we are in the church. We're in the body. We're in the kingdom. We can just, we can be just as spiritually abusive as anybody else by being disobedient and you're, you're right. Crossing boundaries and hold on. The, the pastor has a family and if they're not married, then they have their own life outside of this office. Yes. Pastors are just humans. They're, they're just humans called by God, but humans nonetheless. And we have to respect mm. in that way. Mm. Well, this is so good. <laughs> well, this is so good. Um, there's, there's another question, and I know the hour is growing late. I don't mean it sounds so churchy, but it is. But this is so good. <laughs> but, um, I'm gonna put up another question, um, and then we'll we'll aim to end around eight thirty. Okay. Okay, that's fine. It's okay. not early if there aren't more questions, but I'm gonna put this other one up. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So that that that's that's a uh, that's a common issue. Um. I think gossip is a um, universal issue in the church, and we've all been guilty, right? Um, because who don't like to talk about some drama? Uh, but when you trust somebody to hold your information in confidence, right, they can easily break that, and it'll be hard for you to go to them about things in private. So I think what we ought to do is, well, okay, I'm going to say something that's going to be kind of heavy and deep. Number one, I think it's okay to go correct pastors. You would treat them as fathers or mothers, which simply means you go to them in private, you talk to them. The Bible tells you there's a whole code of how you, Matthew 18, I think, since I had to put it up early, earlier about how you approach leadership with two or three witnesses. The other thing is, um, once a pastor has broken your confidence and they're gossiping, uh, this is a work of the flesh. Uh, so you need to ask yourself the question, if that is the flaw that they have about confidentiality, do you really want to go and tell them your business? There are other people that you can go to your business to and still be a part of that church if you feel like you're supposed to be there for their preaching. Um, once again, uh, I love my pastor, right? I, I love uh, my pastor's name is Josiah Burden, Jacksonville Bishop Burden. But there are things, and not because of gossip, I'm just saying, for example, he's, he will always be my pastor as long as he lives. But Pastor Keith Moore has mentored me. So I go to Keith about things I don't even tell Bishop about, right? Um, and that's just the relationship that we have. So I think that it's important that you use that model, that we don't confuse mentors with pastors. Your pastor's main job is to preach the word of God to you, pray for you, teach you, nourish you spiritually in the word of God, and bury you when you die. And marry you when you want to get mad. Christen your babies, lift them up like Simba to the sky, and say, We're giving this baby back to Christ. That's their job. That's their job. Ordain deacons and elders in every city. That's what they're supposed to be doing. Planting churches. The model is I use this model in our church produce, reproduce, multiply. That's what the pastor, parishioner, and church as a whole job is supposed to be. If you have something you want to talk about, you can go to um, Minister Jones. Yeah, and, and that's okay. You you can choose to leave a church. If you don't trust them and it's that bad, you don't have to stay at that church. Um, you do need to pray about what are you willing to put up with, okay? Because no matter where you go, 
there's going to be something that we all won't like. There's going to be something that we all, uh, in some way, shape, or form, is going to disagree with at some ministry. So um, the gossip may not be an issue, but you may have a pastor who's an introvert and doesn't. There are some pastors that just will give you three minutes of their time, not because they're mean, but they're introverts. Right? Um, Oh, okay, yes, Lady D. Somebody must have asked about being an usher. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay, I see. I see. Great. Okay. Yes. Um, yes, an usher's job is to maintain order, to greet people, to have a beautiful really, really Psalm 84 verse 10 says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. So really your job is you set the atmosphere and the tone of how people will feel uh, even before they hear the music. And before they hear the word, um, uh, the pastor may have people he has selected uh, to, to carry a little bit more than a Bible in the church. And they, they may not be you, sister. OK, uh, but there, there may be some brothers and some sisters like we have at Greater Harvest. I'll never tell you because there's some sisters up in here, too. And they're seated at the north, south, east and the west. <laughs> Glory to God. And, they, and they, they keep something on them to make sure that we're all protected. So um, so God be praised. Amen. That's, uh, okay. Anybody else had any questions? Um, this was um, I think it's a question comment, but I think it deserves to, you know, just be touched upon. It's a it's a really good question. Okay. Yeah, so I said pastors should have accountability part partners, and they should be the elders that serve in the church. Right? If your church is smaller and you don't really have many elders or or, or deacons. Um, pastors can have accountability partners with other pastors, other leaders. I have a whole team. My church knows I have a list of people who I go to, uh, uh, including but not limited to Pastor Keith Moore, uh, Bishop Josiah Burton Sr. in Jacksonville, uh, Pastor Damon Richardson, uh, Pastor Joel Polk in Orlando, Pastor Gilman Rose in Brooklyn, uh, Pastor Richard Dunn. Uh, so I'm going to people. And then, of course, here, I have some great deacons who serve here. Uh, who are brothers in Christ? I have some great brothers, ministers, sisters, right? So, hey, I got some. I got some homegirls to keep me in check too. Let me not leave them out. Reverend Stephanie Jones, uh, my wife. She's my biggest accountability partner because she's gonna tell about myself even if she, even if I want to, and even if I ask her to. Uh, 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 evangelist Deandra Thomas, right? So you have uh, women of my mama. She's another person. She's gonna tell me about myself. Even so, you have people. Oh, and there's an awesome mother in our church. Uh, uh, Mother Odalis Fernandez. I could talk to her about anything. So even here in our church, there are elders. You see what I'm saying? Who I go to and who hold me accountable, who hold my feet to the fire in, in Greater Harvest and outside of Greater Harvest. Ryan Reed, they're coming to my brain now. Otis Duffy. There are people that I can go to and talk to and discuss things with. They're going to keep it a buck with me. And you need that. My wife is getting on my nerves with these comments. Since I wish you wouldn't put them up. Oh, Why okay. I'll take, I'll take that. So proud of you. When, when, when she said, when she said, uh, when she said that she would roast me, and she said, "You said that so professionally, yes, But I'll keep the so proud of you. Oh, thank you, man. I love you. No. I miss you. Because, because we know you can be kind of. Amen. Uh, All right. I think there was. Another... <laughs> Amen. I think there was another question here. <laughs> Absolutely would. And once again, I'll, I'll reiterate that. Yes, um, I do recommend therapy. I think everybody needs to go talk to somebody. 
And I think that it's best you speak to a professional. Um, so that means we have to be willing to sow into, uh, into the area of our lives. We get insurance uh, for our teeth and for our bodies. We get insurance for that brain, for your mind, for, for your uh, mental health. Uh, so cover yourself under the blood, but also cover yourself with somebody that's going to sit down on the couch and listen to you cry and snot. And I remember uh, Professor Barker uh, told me that he, he remember it was a lady that would just pay him to grieve. She would come into his office and lay on the floor and cry for the entire hour. All right. And he said that was the easiest money he made. But he said, but now when he looked, all right, sis, but he said, when he looks back at Stephanie, when he looks back at it, he sees how much she needed that. Right. But she did it with a professional. She couldn't do it at home. She didn't do it at church. She went to a professional and did it because he ain't going to tell nobody. She ain't going to tell nobody. Right. So you better believe that they don't they don't want to lose their credentials, either their credibility with their contemporaries and peers. I'm sorry, I'm looking at something Pastor Pastor Jillian Wynn wrote. Yeah, I was just okay. wondering. Go ahead. I'm sorry, you can. I, I want to understand what she means by this. Therapy is great, but when you're friends with your pastor because you're serving in their church. Pastor Jillian, explain what you mean, uh, woman of God, when you say that. Yes, my wife is right. There are some Christian counselors that will work with you pro bono. Um, in our church, if you're a member of Greater Harvest, uh, Lady D will offer counseling services to you for free. Um, we also have grief counseling. And uh, she's over the mental health ministry. Okay. While um, Evangelist Jillian is putting up that um, the explanation to what she means so we can get some clarity on it, I am dropping the link to Greater Harvest in the chat, y'all. This is an amazing church. Um, oh, bless you. Full of fire. Yes. Hey, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> great word. Just in, in, a, in a younger church um, that shows us that it's, it's not just the older folks who are, you know, still in the kingdom. It's it's some young folks who who love Jesus. Legit. Amen. So that is um, the link in the chat. Um, you know, just check it out and they go live and see about service services on Saturdays and it's just amazing. So um, yes. that's where he and Lady D pastor. So um, please click on that, like their page, and please follow them. An amazing ministry. Um, and up uh, Evangelist Jillian, she just put up. Her explanation. So okay, I get it now. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, if if you do have a uh, personal uh, relationship with your pastor, that's great. Really, like I said earlier, uh, that would really be that father daughter, mother son, father son, mother daughter relationship, depending on the gender of your pastor, and uh, and how they can lead you. Because Elisha was very close to Elijah. Jesus had Peter, James, and John as his inner circle. Right. So there will be people that will be closer to the pastor than others. That's even true here at Greater Harvest. Uh, there are people that are close to me and uh, that's an all setting. So we have a non-denominational church with people that uh, I come from a Pentecostal background. You got people that come from a Methodist background, Presbyterian background. Uh, but in all of those different backgrounds, different cultures, different age groups, uh, there are some people that are just 
naturally closer to me. I can't explain that. And some people, I want to be close to them, but number one, everybody can't get too close to the fountain. They won't get wet, right? So uh, so, so some people, um, if everybody was close to the fountain, nobody would get any water. So some people that's reserved for them, they can handle that level of uh, spiritual maturity. Everybody is an anointed to separate the human you from the anointed you. And that's, and that's real. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that is real, real, real. Um, this has been such a great time of sharing. Um, this is just like a sneak peek into our conversations because this is what we talk about. We laugh, we joke, we read the word, and we exalt God. So um, I'm going to put up, um, well, I didn't have Greater Harvest's Cash App, or I would have put it up. Um, but if you or Lady D want to drop it in the chats or any of your members want to drop it in the chat, please do. I can't put up your Venmo um, because you you really blessed us, blessed us, blessed us. And I know that we um, have a bunch of sowers in the comment section who want to sow into the ministry, who want to sow into you. Um, so um, so, so let, let, let's do this tonight. Whatever you all send me, I'm going to send half of that to. Uh, Minister Stephanie Jones. I want to be a blessing to her tonight. Uh, she's been giving a lot of preachers platforms, um, mental health counselors platforms. Uh, you all don't know how tirelessly this sister prays, uh, doing 40-day uh, prayers and 40-hour prayer watches and 24-hour prayer watches, 33 days of prayer and 29 days of prayer and 29 hours of prayer. This sister is praying and it pays to have somebody praying for you. So whatever you all send to uh, me tonight, you can, y'all can just put my Venmo up there. Uh, whatever you all send to us tonight uh, or cash app. Uh, let me see. I'll put the church cash app up there and all that other, that, that other stuff. Uh, whatever you all send to us tonight, we're going to bless the woman of God. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to let her know every time. I'm going to send her a picture because I, I like to do stuff honest and do stuff right. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing. I need somebody from Greater Harvest to help me. I think this is the church cash app. Ooh, Lord. Let me find that. Okay, go ahead. Jesus. All right. <laughs> Let me find out. Okay, that's right. Okay. Uh, you can be a blessing to uh, to our ministry. You can be a blessing to uh, this woman of God. But we want to bless Minister Stephanie. I want to pray for her. Uh, you can have the final words, sister, however the Lord leads you. But I do want to pray for you. I've been praying for my sister. Uh, lately, and I'm praying for you all. There's power in prayer. Just got a telephone call today. One of the mothers of our church, Mother Dollhouse, uh, who God healed from stage four cancer years ago. Doctor said that there was 20% cancer in her bone marrow, and she believed God again, and just called me this morning and said, "Pass all the platelets, all the blood issues are gone. Uh, so there's power when we pray. Uh, God is a healer. God is a deliverer. But I'm here to tell you the same God that can heal cancer and uh, can heal COVID-19 and can heal you of the flu and heal you of depression and heal you of mental scars and heal you of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic spiritual disorder. God can heal you of anything that you're going through in your mind, uh, that your mind be kept in perfect peace if your mind stays on the Lord. And so I do want to pray for you tonight. I'm going to let the woman of God uh, share and then and then I'll pray. Uh, or I'll pray and I, maybe I'll pray and let you share, sis. That's, that's the order. I want to be in order. Uh, I'll pray and then I'll let her share. Father, in the name of Jesus, tonight we thank you. We thank you, oh great God, King of the universe, 
thou who has who rules and super rules, thou who has created the earth that yields the grain that gives us harvest to create bread for our tables. We want to just honor you. We yield ourselves in humble submission and adoration of your glory tonight. And we just want to tell you, as my grandma used to say, we just want to tell you, thank you. Much obliged. We appreciate you that we couldn't make it another day's journey without you. Father, I pray tonight that those that have been experiencing spiritual abuse at the hands of leadership and mentorship, some of them are being spiritually abused by Christian parents, by their own family members, because of things that have happened to them in their past and in private and in secret. I pray that you loose the bands of wickedness and undo the heavy burdens and let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke on tonight and the and Satan is defeated. The blood of Jesus covers us all right now. We pray for Minister Stephanie Jones. We pray for the Freedom Cast. We pray for the seat. We pray for Pastor Jillian tonight. We cover them under your wings. Overshadow them, Holy Spirit. Give them courage and tenacity and vivaciousness to carry out this branch of ministry that many cannot tread out in uncharted territory, but you're sending her out right now. And we praise you for healing. Hiya. Thank you, God. We praise you for healing virtue. We praise you for being the great redeemer. We praise you for being the strong deliverer. Seek and search. Father, we pray for those family members at Surfside right here in Miami that are standing there day and night waiting for family members to be pulled from up under rubble. We pray for those who have been affected by Hurricane Elsa. We pray for those who are displaced every day. We cover these families that cower and live in fear as their sons are here gunning each other down in our major cities. We pray, God, tonight for that person that may be being abused in the home and don't tell nobody about it. We pray for treasures that have been hidden in our in the walls of our homes, of things that have been hurt and people that have been violated and trespassed on. We pray tonight, God. We we need you. We need you. We need your power for this nation. Our political climate is in turmoil. There is so much confusion and controversy over what is true and what is not. All this subjective, obligatory foolishness that's happening out here. We need God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. God, all of his righteousness, and all of these things will be added. Social justice will be restored, and our people will no longer be oppressed, but you will lift us up on eagles' wings. And your son, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 And amen. 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 Look, we, we accomplished the call. We came to destroy and demolish every Hallelujah. demonic force of spiritual abuse and that's what we did tonight we yes, interrupted sir. the pattern we stopped the vicious cycle of abuse we we okay. open people's eyes and they can recognize what's going on and we don't have to be abused anymore we have the spiritual authority to live free life to live a free life to live an abundant life pastor thank you so much you know i love you <laughs> as my brother but as a mighty man of god i appreciate you so much i thank you you blessed us tonight. I know I'm going to go and rewatch and all that. But um, th thank you for everyone who tuned in, commented. Love you, love you, love you so much, so much, so much. 
This is such a needed topic and we will be back. This is a topic that we'll just continue to talk about. Might have different guests, but we're just going to continue to talk about this because it's something that needs to be said. So there will be part two, part three, part whatever, whatever the whatever the Lord says, whatever the Lord is telling us to do, that's what we're going to do. We're going to use every platform that we can um, and, and really turn it back over to God. So thank you again, bro. Love you. Appreciate you. Um, hashtag abuse no more, you know, like abused no more. Have an amazing night, everyone. I know I'll see a whole bunch of you on the Seek um, that we're going live at nine. So love you. See you. Um, have an amazing rest of your week and a free week. This is the goal. We're getting freedom. We're living free and we're just keeping it moving. And freedom is infectious, right? That's the virus that we want to spread. We want to spread the virus of freedom. So we plant seeds of freedom and then seeds of freedom spring up in people. And then everyone we talk to, they are infected by our freedom and then we'll all be free. That's that's how we're supposed to live. So um, have an amazing night. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back with more. Um, speaking about topics that we need to talk about. And in the chat, please put about topics that you um, might want to hear us talk about and things like that. And we can make sure that we are speaking about things that will really bless the body. So on that note, have a great night and we will see you again.